The book of Romans today, chapter 4, if you will, and uh, we've been at this for about six months, I guess, going through this book, analyzing it almost word for word and verse by verse, because as many have said, it's the greatest book of the Bible. It's the Bible in miniature. All of the Bible is encapsulated in one way or another in the book of Romans, and uh, so far we've dealt with one great theme in the early chapters, and that is that the need of man, that all of the world is guilty before God, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that there's no one able to obtain righteousness or salvation by their own merits, and uh, now we begin to come to the solution for that as we come to chapter number four. The subject this morning is the theme of the Protestant Reformation, justification by faith alone, and that word alone is a very important word in that title today, and I'll tell you why in a few moments. Justification, where God declares a sinful, undeserving person, God declares them righteous, and he declares them righteous based on this the sacrifice of his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he does that alone. That word alone, again, extremely important. Now, I'd like for you to read some verses with me. And uh, we stand in reverence to God's word, chapter 4, verse 1. If you'd stand to your feet with me, please. And I'll read because I'm not going to read uh, all the chapter. And I'll direct you as we read. Romans 4 and 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified, declared righteous before God, by works, anything that he could do, he hath whereof or something to glory in, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. One of the great texts in the entire Bible. When you sit down in a moment, if it's not underlined, underline it in your Bible so you will never skip over it again. Read it with me, verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. One more time. Abraham believed God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, go with me down, if you will, to verse number 20. And Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, It was imputed to him, Abraham, for righteousness. It's repeated there. Now, it was written not for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us also. Notice this, what God did for Abraham was not just for him, but it's also for us. What a powerful little phrase there, for us also. To whom it shall be imputed, and here's the key, If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. And the first part of chapter 5, therefore, in the light of all that's been said, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, today, fill me with your Holy Spirit as I speak to the people who are gathered here and to the thousands who are watching from their homes on television. Holy Spirit, will you run before me and will you prepare their hearts? People can sit here and think about tomorrow or yesterday. They can play with their cell phone or text or play a game. They can check out because they're weary. But Lord, you can open their hearts and enlighten their minds. This is the supremely important subject for us. So Lord, give me hearers today who hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Justification by faith alone. It's the heart of what I believe today as a Christian. It's the heart of the plan of salvation. It's the heart, the nut, the core of the gospel itself, that God justifies, declares, and makes man righteous by faith and faith alone. And today, all of chapter 4, basically, except for one little portion referring to David, is it uses an illustration. The illustration is the life of Abraham, this great man, Abraham. As you know, Abraham is one of history's most well-known figures. You can go almost anywhere in the world except maybe to Asia, and everybody will know who Abraham is. He is known, respected, and loved by the great majority of the world's figures. For example, if you go to Israel or where there are Jews, Abraham is called the father of the Jew. If you go to where there are Arabs, the Arabic peoples of the Middle East, wherever they may be, they will tell you that Abraham is their father as well through his son Ishmael. If you go to where there's a Christian on the face of the earth, you will find out that we call Abraham father. In fact, if you go to chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says that Abraham is the father of the faithful, those who believe that salvation is by faith. A little background on Abraham. He was born in what today is modern-day Iraq. The Bible calls it Mesopotamia, but it would be Iraq today. And Abraham was born there in the city of Ur, U-R, it's spelled. Ur was one of the great cities of the ancient world. We don't hear much about it today. The archaeologists tell us that it had about 300,000 people in population living in this city, Ur, which was a very large city for that time in history. And they were affluent people. They were not poverty-stricken people living in a cave somewhere, though it was almost 2,000 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. These people had a system of writing, so they were literate. They 
had indoor plumbing in their homes, believe it or not. They were known, in fact, the archaeologists have discovered just tons of tile, hard glazed tile that they used to decorate their homes. Beautiful tile that's existed now for thousands of years, bright in color. They, knew. Uh, they had all kinds of skills that you would not have thought from that long ago. And the people of Ur were religious people but they were pagan people. Abraham grew up, no doubt, as a pagan himself. Abraham and the people of Ur worshipped a god they referred to as Nana, N-A-N-N-A, who was the moon god. So they worshipped the the solar system. They were pagans in their philosophy and thought. And then one day, Almighty God came to visit Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. We have no idea why God picked out Abraham, but I have no idea why God picked out me either. So by his sovereign grace, God came and visited one day with this man, a businessman, a wealthy man in the city of Ur named Abraham, chapter 12 and verse 1 of Genesis. Now the Lord said to Abraham, see, no background, just God came and sovereignly spoke to him. God said, get thee out of your country, leave your country, your nation, leave your family, your kindred, leave your father's house, all your relatives, everything that you've known in your life, and go into a land that I will show thee. Didn't even tell him where he was going to send him. But if you'll do that, Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you personally, and I will make your name great as he has done. And you will be a blessing to all people. And the people that bless you, I will bless. That's why we're always so pro-Israel here. And the people that curse you, God said, I will curse them. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. How could all the families of the earth be blessed in one, through one man? Very simple. The Savior came through Abraham. The Savior was a Jew born after the lineage of Abraham, and through Jesus Christ, all the families of the earth have been blessed and will be blessed. And so I go over then to chapter 15, and uh, God met with him on another another occasion. And after God speaks to him and says, look up at the stars, if you will believe me and uh, live according to what I'm telling you, Abraham, Someday, your descendants will be like the stars of the sky. And God took him down to the ocean side and said, and if you will believe me and follow me, Abraham, someday your descendants will be numbered like the drop or the grains of sand by the sea. Abraham, I'm going to make you so great, you'll be one of the greatest men in all of human history if you'll believe what I'm telling you and you will act on it. And so Abraham did. And notice how this section is wrapped up. Genesis 15 and 6, and he, that's Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to Abraham for righteousness. And so here in the Bible is the very first mention of salvation by grace through faith without the merits of a human being that God is going to give gift to humanity. And 
Many people think that people in the Old Testament were saved in some different way. So many people get it confused. In the Old Testament, people were saved by, by giving their, doing their sacrifices and by keeping the law, and they, and they get all confused. Let me tell you, listen to me. Don't, don't, come on here, don't check out on me one second. I want you to get this. God has only ever had one plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation is by God in his grace, giving to man a free gift, and those who believe in him shall be saved. That's the only plan of salvation God knows anything about. And I'll, I'll explain that further as we go through the book of Romans, but I just want to nail that as strongly as I possibly can this morning. Now, point number one, if you're taking notes with me, I want to study with you for a few minutes this phrase, justification by faith alone. Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. And righteousness and justification, by the way, come from the very same root word. They almost mean the same, not precisely, but very closely so. Now, back to the book of Romans with me. And in chapter number four, in verse three, it tells me that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What it says here, and all that it says is that righteousness is obtained by faith alone. People want to make themselves presentable to God. All human beings, unless they're trained into atheism, believe there's a God. And we want to be acceptable to that God. We want his approval. We want him to accept us when we pass into eternity. And the Bible here makes this simple, clear statement that God grants righteousness by faith and by faith alone. And that's what it says. And ladies and gentlemen, that's all it says. Don't add anything to it and don't take anything from it. Now, notice what it says here. In chapter 4 and verse 3 of Romans, it says that Abraham believed God and God counted it for righteousness. Righteousness meaning to be morally upright or to be even morally perfect in the case of God. And so God declared Abraham righteous. He looked at Abraham just as if Abraham had never sinned. Plus, not only had he not sinned, but he added to that God's righteousness was given to him. Now, mark some words with me. Take your pen or pencil if you've got it, because I want you to take that word counted in verse 3 and circle it. Circle the word counted in verse 3. And then go down to verse 4 and circle the word reckoned. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace. In fact, in this chapter, it says reckoned about 11 times, I think. So counted in verse 3, reckoned in verse 4. Go down to verse 6, and it said imputeth. Circle the word impute. Draw your little line between all three of those, and I want you to know this about those words. They all mean essentially the same thing. They mean the same thing, basically. Here's what they all three mean. It means to put something in someone's account. To put something in someone's account. Or if you want to use an accounting term, it means to credit your account. So get the picture here. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your 
country. I want you to go to this land that I will show you. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Abraham, I want to bless you and make your name great. And through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because Jesus Christ is going to come through your family. And Abraham, if you believe me, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who's going to come one of these days in the future, way into the future, a couple thousand years, I'm going to take all the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he will earn in his life and in his death on the cross. And you know what I'm going to do, Abraham? I'm going to put that in your account. And I'm going to take all your sins, and I'm going to take your sins, and I'm going to put them on Jesus Christ when he's on the cross. And from now on, I'm going to look at you just like you had never sinned. I'm going to look at you just as if you had all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to declare you righteousness. And when you pass into heaven, I'm not going to look at you with all the sins and mistakes and the lies that you told. Remember when he lied trying to protect his wife and all the, he was just a sinner like the rest of us. God said, I'm not going to look at that. I'm going to look at the righteousness of Jesus Christ because I have counted it. I have reckoned it. I have imputed it. I have credited it to your account. And you get all the benefits of Jesus Christ and none of the liabilities of your sin. Isn't that good news this morning, ladies and gentlemen? That's the gospel. That's why the gospel means good news. That God takes his righteousness, the righteousness that Christ accrued on the cross, and God adds it to our account, imputes it, counts it, reckons it. He uses all these different words. And what's the basis for God declaring Abraham righteous? It was the cross. It was the cross. Abraham was no more righteous than many of you sitting in this auditorium. He was not some perfect, sainted person. The Bible gives an account of his sins. But you know, God looked at his faith. Abraham believed God, faith, and he credited, reckoned, accounted it to him for righteousness. Do you remember in John chapter 8, one day the Lord Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and he was trying to tell them that he was the divine son of God. And they said, they brought up the subject of Abraham. And do you know what Jesus said? Something that was so strange to me as I read it through the years until I began to study a little bit more deeply the Bible. But Jesus said to the Pharisees that day, before Abraham was, I am. In fact, your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day and was glad. What in the world could that mean? Abraham rejoiced to see my day? Here's what it means. Abraham looked forward in time to the promise of God that God was going to send a Savior into the world. And Abraham believed that promise, accepted that in the depths of his being, depended upon that, relied upon and trusted that someday a Savior was going to come and shed his blood for his sins. Abraham saw my day, and Abraham rejoiced in his salvation. Now, if you think about it, that's not any different than our salvation. Abraham lived 2,000 years before the cross. You and I lived 2,000 years after the cross. 
And so Abraham looked forward to when Christ would come to pay his sin debt. You and I look backward to when Christ came to discharge our sin debt. And every time old Abraham went to one of those altars, and over and over and over he built altars as you go through the book of Genesis, every time he took a little lamb and laid it upon that altar and killed that lamb and shed that lamb's blood, he understood that lamb's blood did not forgive his sin. It was a token. It was a promise. It was an act of faith on his behalf saying basically, Lord, This little lamb represents the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who will someday come. And Lord, I'm shedding this little lamb's blood, and someday the blood of Jesus Christ will be shed, and my sin debt will be paid for all of eternity. This little lamb saves me sort of on credit until the Savior can come, and then my salvation will be permanent, my salvation will be eternal. I want you to notice one more thing here about justification by faith. Justification by faith is entirely, completely, 100%. How else can I say it? Justification by faith is entirely of God. I want you to notice in all these verses, Abraham didn't do anything except believe. There was no works on his part. There was no action on his part, even initially until after he got into the process. The only thing Abraham did was hear God's word and believe that God would honor his promises. Now, later he acted on it, but the action was not part of the salvation process. The action was a result of having genuine belief and genuine faith. Abraham believed God. That's all it says. Don't make it say more than that. He believed God, and God saw that faith, that grain of faith in Abraham, and God reckoned it, counted it, imputed it, and credited it to him for righteousness for all of eternity. When Abraham believed, God declared him righteous. He forgave him. He declared him righteous based upon the fact that that Savior was going to come. Now, look with me in chapter 4. This is important. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 9, read with me. There's a section there that deals with Abraham being circumcised, which all, that was a Jewish rite, of course. And in verse 9, it says, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision, that would be the Jewish people only, or upon the uncircumcision, or the, or the Gentiles also. For if we say that faith was credited, accounted, imputed, reckoned to Abraham for righteousness, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision, afterwards, or before, in, un, in uncircumcision? And Paul says, before. So here's my point. Circumcision is a religious right of the Jewish people a sign of the covenant with Abraham. But when Abraham was justified, when Abraham was saved, it was before that rite of circumcision. It hadn't occurred yet. Going down with me, if you will, to verse number 14, or pardon me, verse 13. For the promise 
that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Wait a minute. Keeping the law of God had nothing to do with him receiving the righteousness of God. In fact, the law had not even been given yet. The law was 400 years into the future before Moses would ever even be born. Get my point. Abraham believed God and it was counted accredited to him for righteousness before he was ever circumcised as a religious rite. Before the law was ever given, so keeping the law had nothing to do with it. Abraham believed God pure and simple, ladies and gentlemen, and God said, okay, I will credit you with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, I've tried to expound that doctrine so simply that a 10-year-old boy or girl could sit here and understand it, hopefully. My second point to you is this. This is the doctrine that Satan hates. Of all the doctrines in the Bible, I believe Satan hates this doctrine the most. He has, through history, attacked this doctrine. He has distorted this doctrine. He has confused this doctrine. He has diluted this doctrine and denied this doctrine. We have people today that deny it. We have people that want to add something to it. Of all the doctrines in your Bible, Satan would seek to confuse you on this because your very eternal salvation so depends upon your clear understanding of the plan of salvation. And the heart of that plan of salvation is this doctrine of justification by faith alone. And I go back through history, and I could give you probably 40 illustrations, if time would permit. For example, look at the Jewish people in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always coming to Jesus Christ. The Jewish people, the Pharisees and the publicans and the scribes and so on, the religious class, if you will, always coming to Jesus Christ and, and, and throwing up to him some perceived uh, inability of him or neglect in keeping the law. And they were always throwing this up in the face of Christ. You're not keeping the law properly and so on. At that time, when Jesus lived upon the earth, the Pharisees had added 613 additional commandments to the law of God, the written law of God in the Old Testament. They had added, did you hear me? 613 laws. They were not happy with just having the laws written in the Scripture. They added 613 more. And they were always coming to Jesus reminding him, for example, well, you didn't wash your hands before you ate. Stuff like that. And they believed if they kept those laws, then they would earn favor with God, that God's grace would be granted to them based upon the fact of their moral purity in their life. And that's why Jesus just did things to irritate them sometimes. He did things to show them how wrong their logic was. For example, he healed a man on the Sabbath day and just turned around and waited for them to come because they didn't believe you ought to heal even a person on the Sabbath day. And Jesus was always just kind of shoving it in their face, saying, look, you guys don't get it. And they kept adding all these things, layers and layers and layers of requirements to the law. And then I think about through the Middle Ages. 
how Satan diluted, uh, uh, deceived people and deluded people. Through the Middle Ages, we now call it the Dark Ages. There was this ignorance, ignorance everywhere, illiteracy. People couldn't read. There were no schools. There were no books. The, the few Bibles that existed were chained to the pulpit of a church. And it didn't matter because the common people couldn't read. And it was darkness, not only educationally, but darkness spiritually. And the people came to believe that they must do something for their own righteousness. And so they observed these rites and these rituals and these ceremonies and, and all these religious exercises to, seeking to earn God's favor, to make themselves righteous in the eyes of God. And it went on like that for hundreds of years. Satan deluded all of the Western world. And then one day, we have this man, Martin Luther, come on the scene. He lived in fear. If Martin Luther had been alive today, somebody might have sent him for counseling somewhere. He had, he had had a lightning bolt hit the ground right beside him, and it had so traumatized him, he really never got over it. He lived in absolute fear that one day God would just zap him, if you will. And he was a monk. He was a priest. And he did all these things seeking to make himself acceptable to God, all these works. He, he slept on a hard, cold, bare ground floor in a, in a building, thinking that God would reward him for that. He fasted almost every week. He would fast a day or two every week. Anything to try to seek the favor and the acceptance of God. He was actually, he had gone to Rome, and he was on his knees going up the stairs of a church in Rome. The, the, the stairs are still there today that you can visit them. And the legend was is that, that the stairs had been moved to that church in Rome from, from Israel, and that those were the stairs that actually Jesus Christ had walked up and, and his blood had splattered on them as they were whipping him and carrying him out for crucifixion. And Martin Luther's going up those stairs, and he would go up the stairs on his knees, and then he would stop and he would say the Lord's Prayer as was prescribed. And then he'd go up one more step, still on his knees. I mean, 40, 50 steps. And saying the Lord's Prayer between every step. But he'd been reading the Word of God. And he had been reading the book of Habakkuk of all places because this phrase, the just shall live by faith, is not only found in Genesis, it's found in Habakkuk, it's found in Hebrews, it's found um, all through the Bible, six, seven times, found the book of Psalms. And so Martin Luther is climbing up those steps, but he's been reading Habakkuk, and Habakkuk said, and the just shall live by his faith. And suddenly, like a lightning bolt, it hit Martin Luther. It came to him. If a man can be declared righteous in the sight of Almighty God by what God has done for him and by faith only, solely, then why in the world am I doing penance walking up these steps on my knees? And as tradition says, he got up and he began to publish this simple, pure gospel 
justification by faith in Christ alone, and the Protestant Reformation was born. And Satan had deluded people all those centuries. Satan's deluding people today about this same doctrine. Today, many people, I hope nobody in here, but just taking the raw numbers, probably somebody in here. You have in your mind that you can't be saved by simple faith in what Christ has done and that Jesus has done enough already. And so you're trying to, you're trying to do something. And when you pillow your head at night, you think about, does God really accept me? Were I to die before I wake up, would God really accept me? Have I done enough? I do this little survey when I do this meet the pastor class, which I did again last week, and boy, it was wonderful. We had 20-some people there, several people saved. And you know, I give a little survey. How sure are you? How sure are you that if you were to die, you go to heaven? I even put the numbers, 25%, 50%, 75%, 100%. Do you know that when I read those, almost everybody in that class will say 100%. A couple of them said 80. One of them once said 50. Most, out of 20 people, I bet you 17 or 18 said 100%. And then you know what? As much as I preach, as hard as I preach, as thoroughly as I preach, they'll say something like this. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ, and I'm trying to live a good life. And by definition, if you add anything to it, my dear friend, I lovingly tell you, you are lost. You can't add anything to what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross. You're trying demonstrates that you don't really believe the grace of God is great enough to save you. And I think there's something spiritual to that, something beyond my capacity because, you know, I preach this all the time. How could anybody sit here 10 services and not get it? Except that the God of this world blinds the minds of them that believe not. I plead with you, hear me, hear me, hear me. Don't depend on anything except what Jesus Christ did for you when he stretched out his arms in six lonely hours on that cross. And what he did there is enough. It is finished, he said. The price has been paid. There are only three options. There are only three options. Every religion in the world, you can bring them all under this. There are three options that you have to get to heaven on. One, you can try to work your way to heaven in such a manner that God will see your good works and say, I don't care about your sins. Come on in. You balance the scales. You've got so many good works down here, your sins don't matter. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's paganism. You can't go to heaven by works. By grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Say it with me. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
lest any man should boast. Nobody's going to stand around in heaven and say, well, I did pretty well. I made it. Mm -mm. That would take away from the glory of God, wouldn't it? Not of works. You can't earn your way to heaven by works. Here's the bigger mistake. Almost everybody will think Jesus had something to do with this. Almost everybody says that. Must have something to do with it. So I believe that Jesus died plus, be careful, everything after that plus is heresy. Jesus died for my sins plus you got to get baptized. Here's the PD. You got to live it. That's heresy. You don't have to live it to get it. You live it because you got it, not to get it. If you have to live it, where's the grace of God? Grace means God's favor, unmerited, undeserved, in every way, unearned. No, you don't have to live it to get it. Abraham believed God and then, uh uh-uh, didn't, just don't put anything there. Abraham believed God, and it was counted, reckoned, imputed to him for righteousness. Isn't that good? Three options, works, or Christ plus something, whatever, and you can put anything you want in the blank, and then there's Christ alone. That Jesus did everything necessary to pay the sin debt of humanity in those six hours that he hung there on the cross. Now, you're trusting one or the other of those three. And you're not trusting two of them either. In all probability, you're just trusting one. Are you depending on anything that you've done? Are you depending on Christ plus anything that you've done? Or are you resting in the Lord Jesus Christ? He did it all. Praise God. My sins were taken care of at the cross. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish. Who? The people that believe on him and have everlasting life. And there's peace in that. And there's rest in that. And there's assurance in that. And there's confidence in that. I'm just resting in what Jesus did for me. One last question, I'll quit. Why did God choose faith as the condition for justification or for salvation? You ever wondered about that? Why didn't God pick something else? Why didn't God pick beauty and all the saved people be beautiful people? Well, I'm sure glad he didn't go that route. That would have left me out. All right, some of you are glad with me, aren't you? We have a few people in here. You're the beautiful one, Joe. You'd have made it maybe, but how beautiful would you have to be? And, you know, I'd probably fall on my face, skin it all up, and lose my salvation. God could have picked intelligence. He could have said, the people that really understand theology at a deep level, I'm going to take you to heaven and justify you. Well, there's few of us would have gotten in, but I might not have made it. You know why he chose faith? Now, listen to me if you never hear me again. He chose faith because faith is fair. 
everybody can believe. And so here's a guy just barely beyond the, you know, he's just, he's on the lower tier. He, the elevator doesn't go all the way. He can believe. And here's somebody that doesn't have many natural attributes of any kind, but you can believe. Faith, here's the way I like to say it. Faith honors God, and so God honors faith. Faith honors God. How does it honor God? One day somebody asked me about Clayton Simmons. They asked me about his character, something about him. This has been years ago, but Clayton had been working here with me for a long time. And they said, you sure must trust Brother Clayton, do you? And I said, I'd trust him with my wallet, and I'd trust him with my wife. I'd trust him with my wallet. I'd trust him with my wife. And the person said, that's the highest recommendation I ever heard. Now, do you know why they said that? Because when you trust, at a deep level, you honor the person that you trust. And when God said, I just want you to trust me, I want you to believe in me, we honor the Lord in the deepest possible way. It's one thing to sing, oh, how I love Jesus, but it's something far deeper to say, I trust him with my soul. I honor him. Faith honors God, and God honors faith. And secondly, when I believe in the Lord and I trust him, that gives the glory to him. Any form of salvation that would involve me in any way, oh, Lord, I trusted in you, but, boy, you know, I've been a good pastor I've gone to that hospital. I've been to McLeod 10,000 times in these 46 years. See, that would bring honor to me. Lord, I trust you. I depend upon you. You get all the glory because I did nothing for my salvation. Faith releases God's grace then to me. Abraham believed God. And it released God's grace into his life. By grace, Abraham was saved through faith, not through anything Abraham did. It was the gift of God by grace through faith. Question, are you dependent on your works? Are you dependent on your works plus Christ? Or are you depending on Christ and Christ alone? Our heads are bowed.